0: Everybody's phones are off, right? Or Ooh, not no. off, but on siren. Yeah, can,
1: be can
2: do that. Just, mm-hmm. like, what it in been- the
0: Welcome to the Slavic Connection podcast. If you remember, several months ago, we interviewed Dr. Veroña about the fascinating, weird genre of turbo folk. Today, we've brought together a couple of students. Dr. Veroña teaches a class on turbo folk and Yugoslav popular music here at UT. We decided to get together and have a really interesting chat about this really fascinating, weird genre. I'm your host, Milena. I'm an Eastern European Studies major.
3: Okay, so I'm Edwin Brinkley. I'm a Russian Studies major. and I'm a junior at
4: UT. I'm Samantha Farmer. I'm a senior uh, majoring in history and Russian East European studies.
2: Uh, I'm Luis Martinez. I'm a history major, graduating history major, and I read French poetry. That's all I do. And I am Vlad Baronia,
1: assistant professor in Slavic and Eurasian studies, and I'm glad to be here again.
0: Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Listening to the Slavic Connection,
4: brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin.
0: Thank you so so much, guys, for coming here today. So we listened to a lot of interesting music in our class. did Did you guys first of all? Did you guys like it? Did you guys find it enjoyable? <laughs> the music of the class.
1: Yeah. The, <laughs>
0: the music.
3: Be
2: careful what you say. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
3: I mean, I've liked Turbo Folk since I was like 13. Mm -hmm. I lived in Bosnia for a little bit, and so you just kind of got used to hearing Turbo Folk all the time, and now I occasionally will throw on people like Severina just on the TV and listen to her Mm -hmm. for like an hour or something. Mm -hmm. It's like nostalgia.
4: It's hit or miss for me. Some of it, um, the very Euro pop dance stuff isn't for me. But I really like more of the retro 80s um, synth heavy mm-hmm. stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say the same. I had never had any Turbofolk uh, exposure before this class. So it was kind of a, an interesting uh, chemical reaction to like, uh, to sort of have to process it, you know, from my, I guess, background of study. So it was, it was a really fun uh, new experience. And I'm glad that I did it. I'm a transformed person.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I think I've been trying to avoid this music for my whole life uh, <laughs> since I grew up in the Balkans, but uh, here I am teaching a whole class about it, so mm-hmm. that really worked out for me. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, so what was the most unexpected thing you found about this genre? We had a whole class about it, and it kind of surprised me how much there was to unpack about
2: mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I think uh, more on like unpacking things that there is uh, a really serious sort of history behind all of it. Um, and that it's it's inescapable, um, but it is uh, approachable from so many different angles. And I think the class really uh, helped us uh, come to grips with uh, more approaches or more readings than are usually uh, given as far as like uh, Media narratives about this this part of the world, so it was it was uh, a sort of exercise in empathy, I guess, mm-hmm. because you know you come in to this class and you're sort of bombarded with this really loud, at least for me, uh, strange music, but then it becomes something where you can see uh, maybe some sort of historical, uh, you know, because I'm I come from a Mexican family, and you know, there's marginalized uh, musics and, and lots of sort of cultural mashups that happen uh, in Mexico and in Mexican culture, and, and and coming to grips with what's happening in, in Eastern Europe. You know, there's there's a lot of similarities that I think uh, I could be I could be useful for my own you know learning about myself and my background as a person. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was really it was really fun.
4: I think sonically, I was really surprised at how prominent the uh, the the vocal trill was because yeah. I knew it was a part of turbo folk music, but I don't think I realized to what extent that that sound and kind of the influence of I believe Ottoman music really mm-hmm. impacts the the songs from the beginning in the 1980s and still today, mm-hmm. it is so prominent and I don't think I realized that, uh, but you do when you listen to a lot of it.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting to me the way that it starts out by being this heavily folk-influenced music where you're also barring a lot of the instrumentation of folk music and maybe a lot of this, the um, historical oriental scales found in Balkan music. But then as Turbo Folk evolves, and we covered a lot of this in the class, it going from like this, you know, real, again, like very, I guess, Oriental folksy sounding music to merging very heavily with modern pop music and even like reggaeton, as I think you wrote about that. It's like, it loses everything except for this vocal trill and that's so characteristic in Turbo Folk. And it's interesting to see what is lost as it transforms, but then what just remains consistent. What did you guys write about on your on your final projects?
2: My, my paper was sort of a, a, a an interpretation of, of the beginnings or like the creation of Turbofolk uh, through the lens of of kitsch as a sort of cultural historical category. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kind of borders well. It is an aesthetic category as far as like kitsch historically has been used to uh, designate a sort of uh, an artwork as as low or false art, and it's something that turbo folk or at least its sort of cultural ancestor neo folk was subjected to the early 70s I think it was 71 or 72 neo folk as far as uh, Balkan folk music in in the in the Yugoslav market was concerned was designated as kitsch as uh, not up to par with uh, you know the socialist cultural standards and you know it wasn't alone in this there were comic books and magazines punk records too were were deemed kitsch and so in my paper I I kind of trace back to this 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 Kitsch, and it came in the form of a tax. The Kitsch records uh, and and material uh, was taxed and uh, just wanted to trace out in the first part of the essay what kind of effect being designated as Kitsch had on neo-folk to make it turbo-folk or or to sort of help it on its way to becoming turbo-folk as we know it. And sort of how that reverberates too in contemporary forms of turbo-folk. And then the second part of the essay is sort of reversing the tact of of saying, okay, how does tribal folk then uh, use its sort of marginal uh, aesthetic or its 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 kitschiness to uh, translate or articulate a lot of the historical background that has happened since uh, the fall of Yugoslavia to sort of make a kitsch articulation or expression of, of historical trauma or just just a sort of general cultural anxiety? And I think it's interesting that uh, it sort of lends itself, despite all the the the, the um, how do you say, like generic pop elements of, yeah. of Turbo Folk? It does, mm-hmm. there is still something sort of off kilter about it by by definition. And so it lent itself to that kind of analysis really well. I don't know if I did it really well, but you know, we'll see, well, <laughs> you can read it. I could say that, uh,
1: Lewis's essay is one that starts with a quote by Kafka <laughs> and addresses uh, Turbofolk, and also it does one of the most brilliant readings of Vicky's uh, Marlboro, Coca Cola, Suzuki, <laughs> um, in a very surrealist key. So yeah. I would definitely encourage encourage you to check it out on our website.
0: Yeah, we'll probably post the resources at the at the on their website, right? anybody is interested in seeing more than just the essays that that we wrote but that's a fascinating point and another thing that always interests me is the ways in which modern turbo folk has this self-awareness and a kind of irony of sorts about being this being derived from this kind of low like not low but like Inf- infamous and stereotypically, as you said, kitsch art form. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of lyrics in, in a lot of newer turbo folk songs will will reference like, oh, you know, like we're from the Balkans and then talking about how um, about this, like supposed culture of partying and going around these sort of Balkan pubs and using these stereotypes and then also bringing in a lot of older turbo folk stars and just this sort of self-awareness and almost taking pride in this kitsch.
1: And I think that's also I think that's also part of the appeal of TurboFolk mm-hmm. that it's like kind of bad for you. You're not supposed <laughs> to listen to it. That's why it's sort of yeah. transgressive, right? Yeah. To enjoy this kind of music, you know, is something you're not supposed to do. It's forbidden fruit. So that's why it has such wide appeal as well, I think. It's like sort of a
3: guilty pleasure almost. I don't want to go around telling people that I listen to TurboFolk, <laughs> but I'll still listen to it almost every every day every
4: week just I mean the expectations kind of lower themselves me mean that you I think turbo folk artists have a lot of uh, leeway to kind of make music and text transgressive because it's kind of its own space that's thrown aside Mm but one that is funded and listened to at the same time.
1: No. Yeah, Edwin, you and your essay you uh, you address a very notorious turbo folk mm-hmm. diva, can you Yeah, sure. Talk about so
3: that? I wrote my essay on Saitsa, and for those who don't know, Saitsa is one of the largest turbo folk stars in the Balkans. Uh, she was actually commonly referred to commonly referred to as the mother of all Serbs. Just for her notoriety. She grew up in the 70s and 80s and got really popular. And then in the 90s, she met her husband, Žilko Ražnatović who had his own paramilitary group called uh, Archons Tigers. And this paramilitary group was huge throughout the war, did a number of war crimes and it really... In Serbia, he was considered a patriot and a hero, In other parts of Yugoslavia, not so much, but the important thing to take away from that was that like Setsa wrote music not to help the state with their own sort of nationalist agenda. Turbofolk during the 90s was sort of this way to promote Serbian ethno-nationalism and also give an escapist element to everyone who was on the front lines because it was really a total war um, against Bosnia, against uh, Croatia and for a very short period of time against uh, Slovenia. The music that was produced by Turbo Folk often was and for the most part was funded by the government to allow you know for the bigger larger outreach and just focusing down on the the troops on the front lines. Stances music while it sort of does that it was from my own reading, it was never really intended for that. From what I could read from the songs I went out and analyzed for my paper, she always sings about love, and the love seems to be directed to Archon. It's unfortunate that the man she fell in love with was a war criminal, but the reality is that the song she was writing and the reason, and, and music she produced that made her famous and still makes her famous, it's not about some ethno-nationalism or patriotism, it's more about just love for her late husband. And what my paper does is kind of just go through the old narrative and say it's an offer this new one that paints her more as a victim of the time she was in and offer an explanation for why she's almost villainized in some parts, Not even now.
0: Yeah, I, I also mentioned Saito in my essay because I mean this marriage, right? If, if you have a Turbofolk star marrying a literal war criminal, that really solidifies this sort of symbolic marriage between fervent nationalism and then Turbofolk. But like you said, interestingly enough, I mean Setsa toys with some some of this imagery in her videos. I think D- did you did you look at the video Nia Monotonia? Yeah, day? I
3: did. In it, um, Setsa uh, has a little baby tiger Mm
0: -hmm.
3: that she plays with. And it it is definitely a reference to Archon's Tigers and the whole paramilitary group. I took it to mean, I want you back, I miss you, and you're the best husband ever. Yeah, yeah. It's sweet.
0: (laughs) it's, It's so interesting because ultimately, Turbo Folk songs are mostly about, they're a bit melodramatic, but they're mostly about love and heartbreak and these very romantic themes. I mean, you have some extreme examples with um, nationalist music that's being composed during the war. Um, We also, I mean, and it's not just a Serbian thing, you know, we, we watch a documentary about Croatian war music and, you know, specifically trying to rally up people to go fight. But then most of this, most turbo folk is actually just about romantic themes. So this, this really, sort of tenuous association is is interesting because it's there, but at the same time, it's never really clear and it's often subverted.
1: I think also, uh, Edwin, your essay does like a really excellent job in showing how a lot of turbo folk stars receive a lot of nasty comments in the media because of this sort of tenuous association, right? With not just certain kinds of politics, but also you know accusations of you know being sexually loose or etc. So. I think that's an important part of the music to address, right? Mm-hmm. That, that these women are really powerful and they have a really powerful media presence mm-hmm. and that bothers a lot of people. So I think that there's a lot of those negative comments surrounding Turbo Folk. I
2: think there's a lot of misogyny there actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would yeah, it seems to me that there's sort of like a scapegoating effect going on whereas it's 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 easy to blame the or at least direct ones, you know, anger towards a pop star than, than a sort of systematic <laughs> You know, movement of history. So it's like you have this symbolic... Uh, yeah, I mean, Turbo Folk, when you, when you talk about sort of melodrama in Turbo Folk, but also uh, in its themes and its symbolism, it is kind of generic and and at the same time carries that sort of uh, Orientalist charge. And so a lot of the, the divas sort of set themselves up as as uh, in one sense as, you know, very empowered and um, asserting their difference as a sort of source of that power, but at the same time, they're kind of also setting themselves up as sort of a target for uh, displaced anger or displaced frustration as far as memories go. Historical memories.
0: Just the fact that they're powerful, very, very powerful images is they, I mean, we, we I remember reading an article in class about this. When you compare them to Western pop stars, a lot of the Current folk divas that you know dominate the airwaves are, first of all, older women compared to Western standards. So often in their thirties and even forties. I think Seeta might be in her forties actually, and she's still you know a really big star. Um, and they're also they just exhibit very clear images of power. So a lot of Western. I mean, there, we do have um, some very. I mean, pattern. I'm thinking of like Beyonce, very very clear, like sort of powerful. Mm-hmm women but then a lot of other celebrities are sort of like more like playful girly not necessarily very strong forceful women but in a lot of trivial folk music videos you can kind of see that the star is the one in charge and and often she's the one who has like the the male backup dancer so she's the leader so it's like i can definitely see how that can be something that is a target of of anger in a society that still has you know a lot of traces of patriarchy and misogyny in it.
4: I would also say it, despite the power held visually and in their popularity, I think turbo folk divas still really are quite dependent on, in my reading of the class, this, this music industry. I'm thinking of when you read an article about how they really are just trying to, to make it and this is what pays and what gives them security. Because if you look at the, you know, all of the producing credits, uh, most of the texts, the arrangers, they're they're predominantly men. And Mm -hmm. particularly in Turbo Folk, what was interesting for me is when you watch a video or when you read the YouTube uh, description, it almost always lists who arranged the track, who wrote it, who produced it, uh, Mm -hmm. the production house, and they're predominantly men. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what was really interesting for me to see. The dichotomy of these very powerful divas, but at the same time, really being propped up by still this masculine production industry.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, who has the who has the capital right behind this industry? It's I think it's mostly men. Mm -hmm. Although Lepa Brena, right? She is so one of the first turbo folk celebrities or neo folk celebrities. Uh, She is a co-owner of Grande Productions, which is one of the largest producers of. genre known as turbo folk. Mm -hmm.
0: And I wonder comparatively if this is about the same as in the West, or if there are generally fewer women involved, or if there are more, because you did mention Lefebrenne, would be an interesting comparative study. But you wrote a really interesting paper about Egaton um, mm-hmm. influences in turbo folk that's really unusual because in my in my research i actually wrote about oriental influences in turbo mm-hmm. folk traditionally they are mostly derived from the kind of sounds you'd hear in greek or turkish or even like israeli arab um, pop music so what, what tell tell me more about what you were doing yeah so
4: My essay basically analyzed a recent trend in Turbofolk that is not completely widespread. It's not as if every Turbofolk song sounds like reggaeton, but there are very visible, high-profile examples of pop stars using reggaeton drum loops. And the history of reggaeton is really long and interesting and worthy of its own podcast, probably. But in essence, it's a genre that developed out of a lot of cultural influences in the Caribbean and specifically in Puerto Rico when basically reggae song in, in Spanish was uh, combined with Puerto Rican hip-hop mm-hmm. which was influenced from New York and Puerto Rican communities there And it's essentially this very specific, widely used drum loop sound Mm -hmm. um, that is very repetitive. And when you hear it, this project, if I listen to any pop song and I hear a reggaeton drum loop now, I'm like, oh, that's a reggaeton drum loop. (laughs) Because they're they're the same box of tricks. And so I analyzed how um, some pop songs in the Balkans now use these drum loops, and it, it sounds so close to real reggaeton, and I analyzed how the reggaeton is a genre in its lyrical content and its history really matches the history of turbofolk as kind of a very hybrid, like a hybridizing, cannibalizing genre that just takes influences in and so it's kind of positioning turbofolk as really a global product that can be listened to outside of the Balkans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have examples of turbofolk stars like Sasha Kovacevic who actually recorded several of his singles both in Serbian and in Spanish versions. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. In 2016-2017 he had three reggaeton singles, two of them had partner songs with Spanish lyrics and two of them were filmed on location in Cuba. Mm-hmm. So he's really trying to like be authentic mm-hmm. and position himself as these are my reggaeton songs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and I thought that was fascinating one because it is actually really well done if you listen to the Spanish version you wouldn't even know it wasn't a normal reggaeton song um, but also how while turbofolk folk positioning itself to be listened to outside of the balkans as serbian croatian reggaeton uh, is it's being done really well but it's also inauthentic
0: mm-hmm.
4: while it's trying to seek authenticity because one i mean Cuba is just not the home of reggaeton at all. It's really an authentic (laughs) reference. Mm. In Cuba, reggaeton is completely foreign. It's like an underground genre that's not well-liked by the government. But I, I kind of argued that this is really a new step for Turbo Folk that could position it away from kind of the, let's say, oriental elements that it's derided for. And also, you know, the imagery of the Caribbean with these tropical beaches, but also these rundown public housing projects, maps really well onto the the Balkans so that they can kind of cast themselves as this really authentic, gritty place with beautiful beaches. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like re-stylizing their narrative.
0: I deal with kind of a similar issue because several decades ago, well, around yeah, like like 20 years ago or so in the 90s, turbo folk was being criticized for another kind of influence, which was that Oriental influence that I think they might be trying to lose now. the The fact is that in the Balkans, I mean, Serbia was under the Ottoman Empire for 500 years, and these countries have a very heavy historical cultural influence from the Ottoman Empire. So when you when you play Turkish pop music or even Greek pop music which ha- does have, which just carry this very strong sort of I don't like the word oriental but like more eastern scale uh, scales and this yeah like oriental mellows and flavor um, that really appeals to listeners in the Balkans so a lot of turbo folk stars outright plagiarized Turkish, Greek, even like I think Algerian music and often they would, because of this nationalist association, they, they did try to, it, it feels like they did try to pass it as being kind of authentically Serbian and kind of authentically derived from folk. But I mean, you know, people catch on to it, and there are like so many lists on the internet about where these songs are plagiarized from. So at the aforementioned Seta, who, I mean, she's supposed to be the Serbian national figure, right? But she has a a few songs from the 90s that sound extremely Oriental. I mean, if they were sung in Turkish, you would think they were Turkish songs. They use all these Ottoman sort of percussion instruments and scales. And she predominantly took her songs from the Greek, from Greek pop stars. But one of them was a pop star called um, Anna Visi, who's from Cyprus, which is, quite close to Turkey and um, just the fact of her using this oriental influence is so strange and unusual <laughs> so um, it's definitely something that people make fun of Turbofolk for so yeah I think maybe reggaeton is a way for Turbofolk to redeem itself and mm-hmm. try t- taking a different kind of influence to change itself up a bit. Yeah it's interesting because it's not to, to
4: you know use like east and west, it's not necessarily looking to the east for influence, mm-hmm. or like American or European pop. It's really kind of looking to Latin America, which is mm-hmm. um, I think a really interesting turn. I mean, Latin American culture is popular more and more mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, yeah,
0: but did you find out anything about the perception of Latin American culture in the Balkans? Like not widespread
4: as like an entity. I mean, I know it's really popular in that it's really easy to find like Spanish language TV, telenovelas, Mm -hmm. Um, but I, and I know, you know, globally you have reggaeton really popular, certainly as popular, like J Balvin, you couldn't escape Despacito in 2017. <laughs> What's
2: the joint? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like on that point, it's a little tempting to be cynical and say, you know, Turbo Folk is just uh, modeling itself after like a market trend or something. Mm-hmm. But then you listen to the Turbo Folk, you know, reggaeton blend. And it's so it's perfect. It's so strange. It kind of works. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when I was trying to do in my essay, it was like approximate or sort of define the strange magic that Turbo Folk has of just making Turbo Folk out of anything. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really cool... Uh, I don't you, you have to listen to it for yourself to really understand, like, how mystifying it is. Mm-hmm. To, if, to, to, yeah.
4: um, if you would <laughs> like to check out some turbofolk reggaeton, which I term turbotone in my paper. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, Actually, I will note here that there are several artists using the term balkatone, but that is a very specific group of people, mostly run by a rapper named Rasta, who also works in turbo tone, but I didn't want to associate myself with his specific (laughs) production house. I would really recommend Severina, the Croatian pop queen, basically, has a new album that came out and there are numerous tracks that are turbo tone on that, like Halo, Biela Vrana. She has a a song with a Serbian band, Mini Starke, called Uno Momento. I would also recommend Sasha Kavachevich because he is a fascinating case study. He has three songs called "Kajeshne" or Disesno". Um <laughs> Also "Zamalo Toy and uh, Temperatura. And it's those are just the videos are worth checking out. It's so fascinating how they use Cuban Caribbean imagery and also really... Kind of try to find find authenticity by using specifically like black performers and rap
1: features.
0: If you guys are interested in the really weird Oriental influences in Turbofolk, like, not weird, but really unexpected um, in Oriental elements in Turbofolk, check out Seetze's song, Opersteine Vechera." It means like, I think the... Parting night. Yeah. The, the party night. And um, it's plagiarized directly from a Greek song, but... <laughs> Appropriate. <laughs> it's just really interesting to hey, hear. So <laughs> It's really interesting to hear somebody who married a little war criminal, you know, who was like, I don't know, like massacring Muslims, and hearing her belt out this extremely oriental tune. It's
1: bizarre. <laughs> I wonder also to what extent is, uh, because the, let's say, the Turkish or Ottoman influences in Balkan pop music are sort of disavowed, they're in a sense unconscious in many ways, even though they're sometimes picked up and that influences trades, but I think, I mean, uh, and given your essay, Milan, I'm just wondering, like, what do you think of the current relationship between, I mean, Turkey and Serbia? I mean, those those relations have warmed up, right? Mm-hmm. So, so do you think that Turbo, Fo- I mean, do you think that there's kind of more of an acceptance of Ottoman culture and the fact that Ottoman culture is a big part of Serbian identity in Serbia?
0: I do think that the relationship, as you said, it has warmed up and it, but it's extremely tricky because you have a kind of double think where on one hand, you know, people regularly go visit Istanbul, you know, it's a popular, people like post Instagram photos, like, oh, look, they, they. You know, they enjoy it. Also, Turkish soap operas are extremely popular in the Balkans. Like, my grandma has been watching one for like four years and it's never ending. And she and she, she actually, she she um, claims she hates it, but she needs to finish it because she finishes everything she starts. Certainly, there's a really strong appeal there, given that people just watch these soap operas all the time. Oh, also, I should mention, they're usually broadcast on pink TV, which is associated with this kind of like... With and that, turbo folk. Yeah, with turbo folk definitely people often listen to turkish music and uh, but on the other hand there's this kind of national narrative of you know um ottoman turkish domination and suppression of the local culture and religion and yeah so so there's this national narrative of oppression during ottoman times and I think that to, it's, it's really strange because on that one hand you have this narrative, but then on the other hand, you have a kind of nostalgia for Ottoman times. So people usually like to talk about how amazing the food in Turkey is and how the how they usually go there and you, they, they buy this, uh, the Turkish delight, which we call it atluk in Serbia. Um, so I think that while re, um, relations definitely have warmed up and it has been accepted to some extent, but then again, whenever this sort of nationalist sentiment flares up often that um, the the Serbian nation is juxtaposed against its neighboring uh, um, Catholic, but especially Muslim and Turkish neighbors.
1: I mean, I think your essay is really fascinating because I think it kind of goes below the surface of this turbo folk stereotype, and it really teases out these different kinds of contradictions that are not only uh, inherent to turbo folk or apparently, you know, exist in turbo folk, but uh, for uh, national identity in the Balkans in general, right? Which is, really still being formed you know after after a series of wars after the collapse of communist project and after you know a very long period of colonization it's kind of fascinating to see how that plays out in popular culture and popular music all these mm-hmm. different layers of history very commercial pop music mm-hmm. um and i think you do a great job in sort of digging those out and laying them out
0: Thank you. As somebody who's really fascinated by culture, I was glad I could get, I got to explore the sort of broader phenomena of like Orientalism and Balkan views towards that. But I wanted to ask you guys, coming out of this class, has the way that you listen to music changed? What are your What are your takeaways?
2: So the, the name of this class is is Punks and Divas in uh, Eastern Europe, I think, right? Southeastern uh, Europe. Southeastern Europe. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I came in for the punks and i didn't know what divas were until we got to the turbo folk part um so i was tricked and i want my money back um <laughs> but there's <laughs> uh there's there's uh Werner herzog i think said something like any any serious film education includes wrestlemania you know like a serious study of wrestlemania and so i came in with that when we started doing turbo folk i i thought of like okay i'll learn about how to deconstruct you know pop culture to, to sort of like produce semiotic analyses of cultural phenomena and history and trauma. But then I got totally into it. <laughs> I, heard, I heard Vicky, uh, Coca-Cola, Marble, Suzuki, I fell in love. Um, and you know, going back to wrestling, you know, as a kid, I, I watched wrestling and was terrified and was thrilled. And it kind of brought me back to that sort of raw state of just appreciating like the viscerality of, of, of pop culture. And so, you know, it, it kind of brings me back to appreciating kind of getting off of the, the ivory tower. A little bit, you know, still, still, uh, still a critical, uh, you know, approach to things, but a really fun one as well. So that's that's something that I, I'm I'm glad that I got to experience this semester. I think for me at least, it's
3: destigmatized how I listen to Turbofolk. I don't really feel I used to feel very guilty listening to it because <laughs> it, was like, it was that thing you just would never touch. But now it's I'm listening to a whole lot of different things and it it's nice to have this genre back in my life. But more than that it's it's just interesting to see how much a genre of music can impact the culture of a region because turbo folk really does define culture in Croatia and Serbia and Bosnia and just throughout the Balkans. So it's, at least for me the class was really interesting to see how uh, culture is developed through music.
1: On one
4: point I would agree with you Luis that I think definitely now whereas there is, resistant, mm-hmm. there is resistance to me buying into tribal folk and i wouldn't say i bought into it but like so other similar genres that have like very like reggaeton like reggaeton really has a problematic past of like misogyny that is still prominent but there is like an invitation to just kind of like you know immerse <laughs> and forget but i also something that i've taken away is examining almost like the history of music genres and like and what like, why do certain kinds of music carry the connotations they do and in what ways is that not their fault like I don't know how to describe that but is turbofolk even TurboFook anymore or like yeah. why why is it not cool to listen to pop music or like just kind of examining the different hierarchies of genres and but then at the end just you know falling into it) <laughs>
0: so interesting and yeah building off what both of y'all said i mean turbo folk is definitely something that is kind of untouchable in a way in the balkans like you don't really want to be associated with it or um i mean if you do then you might not want to be a person who others associate with (laughs) but it's a genre that is just really surprisingly fluid there's so much irony in it there's so much subversion there's so much um Bringing in of different cultural influences, that I mean, coming into this class, um, my family is from Serbia, so I'm so I was familiar with the n- notoriety of tribal folk. So it was really stunning to see the ways in which this genre has evolved, and in the ways in which divas, who usually I mean, the people around me, um, called out as being you know like. There's this word in Serbian, napumpan, like like really blown up. You know, you have like a lot of plastic surgeries, maybe. You're very fake in a way. The way in which they sort of acknowledge this, um, I know Tseta has a song about kind of like turbo folk bodies. You um, know, I forgot what it was called. Is silicone? Yeah, silicone, right? She, <laughs> so, so she's really singing about this this like perceived fakeness. And she's saying like, yeah, you know, we- We, we know Severina. Um,
1: Severina. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry,
1: sorry. But it's CMC, right? I had yeah.
0: Severina in my head. I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Severina has this song called Silicone, which is literally about, you know, acknowledging, like, yeah, we, we um, sometimes, you know, we're very fake. We have to be these sort of fake singers and I mean we're doing it for ourselves we're not necessarily doing it for the male gaze we're doing it because this is our career we're making money off of this and it's just fascinating to see these kinds of um I guess I don't know like this discourse was Turtle Folk itself about um like overturning these stereotypes so I mean it's been a really interesting ride. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming today, guys. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. been it's been awesome, and um, I I have been informed that you, Luis, is am I saying that correctly,
2: Luis, yeah. Luis,
0: <laughs> Luis, and Samantha, you guys are graduating.
2: Yeah. and
0: well, <laughs> sorry, well, yeah, right.
4: <laughs> and what are your plans post? Um, I will be continuing in the Department of Slavic and Russian Studies as a master's student. Huh? So, I'll still be around, can't get rid of me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome.
2: Uh, well, um, as, a, as, a, as a pseudo-surrealist, um, I'm going to take after my, uh, my uh, political party, my aesthetic political party, to uh, go underground, disappear, and uh, you may hear of me again. Just, you know, I'm going underground, basically. <laughs> That's nice. what we expected from oh, you. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you so much, and I hope to see you guys around, or to not see you around, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if no.
2: you don't appear, I will be disappointed. That is if I taxi.
1: I'm afraid you're driving. And if you're sick, it would be whatever it would be. And I don't know if you've noticed your request. It's
2: <laughs> the right one the views expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect
4: those of the show or the university of texas please visit Slavexradio.com for more information thank you for listening the slavic connection is produced by the center for russian east european and eurasian studies at the university of
3: texas at austin thank you